Two Broke Watch Knobs podcast is an online discussion dedicated to urology and the in-depth coverage, review, and assessment of high-quality, affordable timepieces. There may be instances of strong language, and this podcast is intended for a mature audience. Sit back and enjoy. Hey, this is Mike. Hey, this is Kaz, and you're listening to Two Broke Watch Knobs, and we are here with a super awesome special guest who we've been trying to coordinate and get on the show for a while now. We are here with Nick Harris. Nick, say hi to the nice people at home. Hello, everybody. So for people who don't know, um, Nick Harris has a long, my opinion, like a long and super honored history within the kind of watch community, horology community. Um, starting with Seiko mods as Crappy Surfer, right? Or is it, is it, is it, is it, it's, it's Crappy Surfer, right? I always mess that up. Yeah, on like uh, watch back in the day. Reddit. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's doing the Seiko mods, and now he's doing the um, Orion Watch Project, and now he's currently working on the Field Standards, kind of like drawing from a lot of the really interesting Seiko mod kind of uh, field uh, pieces that he had done. So yeah, we're super happy to have him on the show. I'm a little giddy right now because I am about three beers in. Um, but yeah, three? so I'm. Wait, I'm you, you, I called you like twenty minutes ago, and you had three already. Dude, I've been drinking the whole day. Okay, I've been That's drinking good. the whole day. <laughs> I just started a new job, man. I get the day drink again. Well, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard to episode nineteen. <laughs> this is episode nineteen. I almost forgot. God, my one, my one, my one job. My I have two jobs in the show. Having a panic attack every episode, remembering and remembering the number of the episode. I, I forgot one of those. One of those numbers, but yeah. So, oh, and that was Mike's dog. You're gonna hear Mike's dog a lot, Nick. I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. He's ready. Okay, so yeah. Um, again, thank you so much, Nick, for making the time. Super awesome to have Good you night. on. And in two book watch knobs tradition, we're just gonna jump into an audio wrist check. So, as our as our super honored guest, what are you wearing for today's podcast, man? Today, I have one of my favorite watches on. It's uh, my vintage Omega. Geneva Admiralty. Sweet. Uh, yeah. And it's actually the watch that kind of inspired a lot of the Orion case elements. It's, well, it's, it's old on its reference 166.0 something. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Cool. But it's, old, it's his vintage thing. Got long lugs and a big crown, but it's interesting. Yeah. Just based off you saying that, I can totally understand how you drew inspiration from that because I think those are two like pretty defining elements of the whole mm-hmm. Orion watch project and the cases that you do those crowns and those lugs. Yeah. You is know? this a, is this a watch that you've ever tried like uh, cracking open and working on? Yes. Uh, a little bit. Does that get scary? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's running fine, especially given its age. So I, I opened it up, you know, checked it out. It didn't need to be serviced, but I thought I'd try and like regulate it a little bit. Wow. Mm-hmm. I think it's like plus 20 seconds a day, which is totally fine for a 50-year-old watch. I was like, I can get it better. <laughs> I just got it like marginally better. And then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to stop with this. You know, what's, you know what's so incredible also? Just you talking about that watch and the experience of opening it and seeing if you could regulate it. It's it's You're, you're in the process of going through watchmaking school, so your perspective when you see watches is immediately different from most folks. Like when I had to – I had to open the case back on my Raketa Big Zero to – loosen or to tighten the loose screw and in my mind it was the same thing as trying to like like disarm the golden eye like i was so sure the watch was just gonna blow <laughs> yeah. up and it was gonna melt 
and I would have just fucking ruined it. You know what I mean? But like you, that's something that you're completely super comfortable with. Now, but the thing is, I guess the I guess the case is, you were always comfortable with that even before watchmaking school, just with all the Seiko mods back in the day. Well, I don't I don't know if that's true. I think really? I had a lot of time. Yeah, you know, I spent a lot of time in my room alone without classmates or people mm-hmm. watching me freak out and destroy watches <laughs> and cursing and <laughs> searching for parts I've dropped. So it's I think the flying know, they, spring bar. <laughs> oh yeah. Every well everything flies once you start taking the movement apart. So but I don't know. It's uh, what what's that saying? Like any technology that's not understood is like the same as magic or whatever. Dude, I have okay. never heard that, but that that sounds fucking badass. Oh, I that does sound cool. That actually. sounds super yeah. cool. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, don't know, just, I think there's like a point where it's like if you don't understand something, it's like the same as magic, and that that's kind of where watches started for me. Wow. So there was a time when I was very uncomfortable opening a watch but that was also kind of what drew me right i mean i'm on your site right now and you still have the page up how to mod your well let me pull it up again i had to pull up this thing yeah it's how how to modify your seiko seiko okay yeah specifically it says how to mod your seiko you know what i mean right so is that something i'm curious as to why you put that up on the site did you put that up to like encourage other people to mod or to maybe like give people an idea of how you started or you just did it for the hell of doing it. I put it up as a resource for modders to use since um, there really isn't that much information right. out there. Like people will tell you or there might be a couple like kind of, you know, couple guides. Maybe they're missing some things or aren't great. And I know there are a lot of people that want to get into it and they struggle with finding like a step-to-step or any kind of yeah. tutorial i know i did right i remember i, mean, I kind of just like fumbled I, around in a dark room with my tweezers <laughs> i remember when you because you also put this up on reddit right yeah yeah i think that i think there was like one person that was like oh like you but you have all these tools or something i don't know if it was the same post but um i remember it was pretty it was pretty well received and uh, uh this is actually the first time i open it on your site so that's yeah, when I, I, I have a I have a little Seiko SMK and I had like mentioned to Mike, I don't know, this must have been months ago, that I have I had like interest in modding it. And the first thing he did was send me um, the Reddit post you had made with this. Mm-hmm. And this was just like just like so someone as someone who has no kind of modding knowledge but has the desire, this is extremely helpful, super, super comprehensive. And so like, thank you for putting it together. And we definitely, we'll link it in the show notes as well on uh, SoundCloud and that carries over through all the other um, you know, podcast venues and everything like that. But if anyone's ever had the notion of modding their Seiko, definitely check the page out. It's super, super cool. Is that is that the watch you're wearing tonight, Kaz, the SNK? Oh man, yeah, I forgot. We, I, got, I, got so, I got so enamored with talking to Nick about, about Seiko modding. I forgot <laughs> we're in the middle of a... Uh, middle of an audio wrist check uh no actually i am i am still rocking what's sort of becoming not my new beater but something i really really love and it's 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 doing part to two things and so i'm wearing my um orient uh neo 70s wv0051tx that solar uh chronograph and i've been struggling to find a sexier name than just the damn reference because it's a jdm piece so there is no sexy american name so i'm just gonna call it 
I'm sorry. Did you call it the Christmas watch or something? I'm going to officially call it the Christmas chrono because it was made. Okay. The, they made a thousand right. pieces in 2016 to commemorate Christmas for some for some fucking reason. And I'm one of the assholes that bought it. This is number 884 out of a thousand. And I love it because I have this. I'm really getting this really weird affinity for quartz chronographs. So after buying the Paul Jot 3133, and like that was the first chronograph I ever bought, and I basically had to handle it in the same way as like a fucking like dying robin egg, like just delicately. Like I'm super afraid that if I if I air drum in the car too hard, or if I vigorously write like an angry letter, it's just going to explode in a bunch of like springs and bridge plates. You know what I'm saying? The, the air drumming scares me too. Dude, right? Like I used to do it with my old Omega Seamaster uh, 30, that uh, that 286 from 1962, and like now I'm wondering, oh, did is that the reason why it's basically a fucking broken watch now? Because I I just I just had to fucking air drum Metallica in my car like a dick. You know what I mean? Oh, no Metallica, that'll get your watch. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not good for the balance. No, man. So um. <laughs> You, you so, heard it here, folks. You heard it here, folks. Metallica will fucking destroy your watch. Hashtag Metallica hates watches. We should really stop doing these hashtags. I'm afraid one of them is going to come by us back and like him in the ass, dude. Oh, for sure. I, I like him. He, li- he likes him. <laughs> but what do we have? We have, uh, we have roaches wearing Rolexes. We have dildos and watches. Oh, that's a good one. No, don't. That, that can't be a real one. That can't be. <laughs> how, how can we make it a real one? Let's, I really let's... don't feel like going out and purchasing a fucking dildo and just like draping a Seiko over it. I mean, I'll do it. No, I'm not above no. it, but I don't. No, please. I prefer not to do it. That's how we get. That's how we get insta banned. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So two reasons. So yeah, that's one of the reasons why I'm just super into this watch right now. Because for a long time, the Seiko Sumo SBDC033 Prospects was my. Like, I would call that my, like, reliable beater. Like, I put that on, and you can fucking, like, throw me out of a car, and, you know, where the body dies, the watch will live on. But, like, now there's just something really nice about this in conjunction with the quartz, solar quartz chronograph feature. I have it on Terry's uh, Toxic Shiznit, Toxic NATO's uh, Toxic Shiznit. And this is that that kind of herringbone weave uh, NATO strap, that seatbelt pattern, and it's, it's, it's amazing. I fucking love this thing. You know what cool. I mean? Definitely, nice. definitely in love. So yeah, that's. I don't want to take up too much time with me uh, uh, talking about my my watch, Michael. Michael, what is you wearing? <laughs> what is I wearing? What is what well, is you wearing? <laughs> well, I'm wearing uh, I'm wearing I'm wearing the watch that you uh, you gifted me, Kaz. Mm-hmm. Or well, one of Aww. them. Yeah, yeah. Aww. Don't buy don't, <laughs> don't don't buy me gifts, dude. Because I'm because because well. So, so Nick, I don't know if you're aware or if you're, if listeners are tuning in, this is your first show. Michael, um, Michael and I had a perfectly good friendship, like a perfectly normal friendship where there was no obligation to give each other gifts on holidays. But then Michael, for some reason, decided to draw first blood and get me a (laughs) gift this past Christmas. And you fucked up, dude. You fucked up because now it's not just a normal relationship. Now I'm always have to thinking about the next fucking gift I have to get you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Nick and I are going to do a combination gift next year. You don't give me shit, yeah. man. The go- like- <laughs> yeah, we're going to uh, impose our dominance over your using <laughs> watch gifts. Dude, please, please establish dominance by sending me a watch with like a dildo engraved on the back of it. <laughs> oh, God. That Dude, would- you better. I have the means. Yeah, I know you have the means. That's why I'm afraid. <laughs> Wait, well, can, I, can I just talk about engraving for a second? Yeah, sure. Anyway, dude. What's up? So. It hasn't been released yet, but I'm super into like Mayan glyphs. And, cool. Oh. Um, 
a case i just you know my case, my engraver guy mm-hmm. damon he i was like uh do you want to engrave some mind glyphs on uh, <laughs> this one case back and he was like yeah i can do that what do you want it to say would you like the mind glyph for chocolate and i was like <laughs> yes that's so cool <laughs> yes. i was actually like hell yes <laughs> Because I, because no, not many people are gonna know what it means. It was like, oh well, look at this badass mind glyph, and it's like that means chocolate. That means chocolate. <laughs> That's so, so cool. If you see, in the near future, a case back with a cool mind glyph on it. <laughs> It means chocolate. Oh, that's nice. awesome. See, that, that's, that, that's something that's super interesting, I think, about about you. Because on the show, we always talk about, you know, a watch collection. A, a watch collection is super, super relative and super personal to the person. Like, how you practice your urology passion really should be relative. You shouldn't practice it in the same way someone else does. And because, I guess, you are going through watchmaking school, you... Um, you have a more intimate relationship with watches. You choosing to put the mind glyph for chocolate on the back of your watch, where that might be meaningless to most folks, but has meaning for you, is a really cool way of practicing your kind of urology passion. That's badass, you know? Yeah. Thank you. That's a lot and of I fun. I also think it's, uh, yeah, it is a lot of fun. And that's what I think is important is uh, there's kind of, there's some aspect of the watch and horology world that is pretty stuffy. Sure super proper and it's kind of like a dick swinging contest without a doubt <laughs> and i don't like that i don't you know i don't like that it, and the, you know it's something we talk so, about on the show all all the time if you well hold on before I, I i we could totally get into it michael i just realized um did you finish your audio risk check did you say everything uh, you wanted to say you got cut off. No, no, that's and that's fine. <laughs> I'm I, I'm even you, I don't even think you said the watch. I think you said it was a gift. Yeah, I didn't know. And then I literally it's, just started screaming. <laughs> it is all good. It's the Citizen Eco Drive Pro Master Diver that uh that you gave me. I think uh, it's so cool. Yeah, I, I opened the watch box today and every watch was not wound up and I picked <laughs> that one. <laughs> <laughs> And that's you, you that's went, what a grab and go quartz is. You went traveling with it recently, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I took it to Miami and uh, I took it to Portland, and uh, it's a great travel watch. I like it. That's so cool. <laughs> that's badass. Yeah. But I, I'm 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 glad you're getting you're getting use out of it. You still have it on that blue um, uh, vented rubber strap that it came with. Yeah, I do because kind of like kind of like you said with. Um, you know, opening opening a vintage watch or doing anything with a watch, I can barely take a bracelet off and put it back on. And the same thing with straps. And I can't. I'm like a spring bar tool idiot. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's that one's staying on there. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, there are only two instances in my life where I I develop a quick onset hand tremors. That's when I'm apparently <laughs> trying to take a goddamn photograph, and when I'm trying to manipulate the spring bar tool. And not like just completely scratch the like the whole back of the watch. My 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 sumo, the back of the lugs are just they're not covered in scratches, but if you looked at it, it looked like someone's like toddler had been gnawing on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, Nick. I, well. I think I think when you lent me the uh when you lent me the, the field standard for a little bit, you were like, Yeah, you know, put it on a strap and I'm like, Yeah, no. <laughs> it's it's got drilled lugs though. Yeah, I know. Awesome. That that is true. That is true. It would have been very but, easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's okay. It's, I understand. Whatever. It's like the bottom of a skateboard. It's like, exactly. You, yeah. You can't see it when you're riding it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, um, no, that's 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 what I'm wearing. That's super cool. Damn, yeah. that's, that's so bad. 
Yeah, and we'll, and we'll put um, we'll see if we can put links up or photos up of all the watches we covered in the audio wrist check because I don't I don't know if I've been doing that in the show notes. I don't think so. We have sometimes. I've been wearing the same time. goddamn watch for like for, for like four hundred episodes. So I mean, I, I'm sure people are really tired of me wearing this fucking Orient at this <laughs> point. You know what I mean? Uh, what it's, what it's... what what watch should I wear next week, bro? You want to plan it that far ahead? Should I wear a pog? Should I like, should I hot glue a pog to my wrist? Do you remember pogs? A slammer. Mm-hmm. Oh, just, God, I could hot glue a slammer and just Sharpie Panerai over it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Metal slammer. The, the grail. Slammer. The, the one watch. The one. <laughs> my, my, my grail watch is a slammer that I staple to my wrist. And that I roll, Ooh, I roll and crush diamonds. Oh, man. But yeah, so, so speak, speaking, speaking of rolling your watch and crush diamonds. Yeah, uh, Nick had a really good point earlier. There's this strange fallacy in watch collecting in that the only way to really progress your collection or the only way to really uh, express yourself as uh, a watch enthusiast or uh, uh, like an horology fanatic is to escalate your collection by spending more money and inevitably when you spend more money you start buying these watches which are kind of advertised as like like luxury watches where you start departing from purchasing something because you have a specific horological uh, fixation on it and you start moving towards buying a watch so every every penis in the room knows how much money you spent you know what i'm saying and that's yeah. wrong you that's 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 like that's not you practicing uh, uh, a passion for horology or that's not you collecting watches that's just you getting into like like you like you said nick like basically like like a dick measuring contest you know uh he said yeah, really he said dick swinging Dick swinging contest. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> Point I, I, is, the dicks are out. <laughs> Interestingly, that was actually one stipulation to get Terry on the show for episode episode nine. None of us would be wearing pants. I was. That, I'm still not comfortable with that. Yeah. We, thank we, you. We, thank you for not uh, imposing that on as well, Dick. Yeah. Thanks. You know, I'm easy going. Easy. <laughs> I, like, I like wearing pants. But, you know, it's cold in my house. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. Both so, you guys, both you guys are in the up uh, northwest now. So, but I mean, like, like um, people have heard our take on that. But like, why, why do you think that there's this weird push? Because when I first started collecting watches, because I have an interesting perspective, I've only been really collecting watches for uh, like maybe a year or or a year or two now. And when I first started, I had this notion that I had to be the best collector. By spending the most money. Now, obviously, sure. that's that's just a bunch of garbage. That's not true. That's what these legacy stuffy brands who are basically dying before us, like my dead bird, Michael. You, 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 Michael, Michael Myers, my, my my dead bird. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what they want you to believe. But that's obviously not the truth. But like, what's your take? Why do you feel that's a happening, and how that keeps ringing true with people? Because I'm sure if people think about it, they'll understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't have to spend money. To like be a part of something but sure they still do it anyway like what's your take on that i think that's kind of like a multi-part uh question um one of the first part is there are lots of expensive brands that have very horologically interesting watches and movement sure like these are watches that are handcrafted uh the movements are works of art or extremely limited or both, uh, and then, and then I think uh, the second part of that question is, people start conflating money with horological interest, and then you always have people that are going to, you know, 
try to impress other people with money right. or material goods. And, you know, it's kind of unavoidable. <laughs> I mean, watches are a luxury item. Like, they always have been. There's been a time when, you know, pocket watch, wrist watch was like the pinnacle of human technology. Right. It was very expensive. Right. So... The thing is, it's it's they've always been a luxury purchase in the sense that it was expected for someone to have a watch or at least be within the means of telling time some way. You know what I mean? Like before cell phones and all that stuff. So most people in some way, shape or form had some way of telling time. Now, obviously, there's no need. There's no need to have a watch. And so it is sort of still a luxury item. But I also then kind of put it in my brain in like the niche item in the same category as like guys who collect model trains you know what i'm saying like we don't need to do these well, things you know yeah but we still do but you know it, yeah it's enjoyable right yeah. it, there's some degree that is enjoyable and you know i used to work on a winery and you get a bit of the same thing a lot of people like all snobby like you know what i went to napa so let me tell you about wine and it's like <laughs> wait please you know just just don't tell me about wine because you go having a vacation in Napa doesn't mean you know shit about wine. Right. And, and it's kind of like the same with watches. And it's like, I went and bought my Royal Oak. Let me tell you about watches. And it's like, wait, no, just please don't tell me about watches. <laughs> so you, you, because, go, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, it's just like, uh, you know, back in my wine days, I used to just say, it's like, all that matters is like you enjoy wine, right? It, it doesn't like, how much you spend on it doesn't like dictate your interest in it or your passion for it. Yeah. So, so you have kind of like your own uh, sort of interesting um, background when it comes to watch appreciation, Nick, uh, kind of <clears throat> where, where did that sort of start with you? Um, if it was it something really early or was it something you picked up later in life or kind of where does, uh, where does that story begin for you? Oh, well, I, I had I inherited this uh, vintage Omega Constellation as a family heirloom. My great grandfather. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's a real gorgeous watch. I've I ha I've had that since I was a teenager, but it was missing crown and stem. But it still ran. Whatever you know, for special occasions, I might like, <clears throat> wear it just to you know, have a fancy watch, whatever. <laughs> nice. Um, and then I guess probably about three years ago. I was like, I need a new hobby. And I looked at this watch that was missing its crown and stem, and I was like, oh, it's just, just crown. How hard can that be to fix? Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so I just I, uh, started researching how to repair watches. I started researching vintage Omegas, and I, I don't know. I read so a lot So it's interesting. Did you, did you feel compelled to fix it because it was a family heirloom or because you recognized something that wasn't working that you could possibly fix? Or is it some weird magical combination of both? Oh, I think it's probably the latter. You know, I figured Interesting. I'm good with my hands, good at gadgets and doing stuff, so why couldn't I fix this? But I, I right. soon learned that it was way out of my technical uh, scope, and I had a professional watchmaker repair it. But it was at that point I was like, wow, watches are really cool, and I know nothing <laughs> about them. And then I got a bunch of broken Seikos, and I was like, I'll try and just fix these and play with these. And, and that's when that's I found so cool. modding. And that's where my appreciation came from. And that's also yeah. that's also um, 
I guess, eventually where Watches by Nick began. Did you kind of fix these Seikos and then kind of realize that there was a modding community or um, and you kind of just wanted yeah. to see how so that what went? What happened was I had these Seikos and got some tools and I was trying to fix them and I knew nothing about them. So I started looking up, you know, technical guides and, uh, you know, videos or repair guides people doing it and documenting how right and it was during that time i found i stumbled upon the uh like the modding community and i was like oh this is pretty cool nice uh, yeah i I gave modding a stab and people were like wow that's really cool you should make another one i would buy that (laughs) and it's kind of history from there Nice. You, you know what I love? Whenever someone does like a voice impersonation, impersonation of someone like that from the past, I think it's the same guy. Hey, you should do more of that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's the same guy. The same. We, we all know him. But that's... We yeah. all know him. That's fun. Guy. And so, um, you, did you start, start kind of like putting these up on Watch You Seek or Reddit or was there kind of something specific that like propelled you into i guess the the modding um circle because i know i mean i i know there's like yobokis there's the other one like dagas or dagas yeah yeah and um i don't i don't think either of those are in the u.s right no yeah and that's that's kind of that's what attracted me to you I, i was always like going on your side i'm like well this guy's like in the states and he's doing this this really awesome stuff so kind of like I don't know what what really got the momentum going because um, you I, you mentioned before that you had like a time when you had just a bunch of crazy orders like yeah um, well it was Reddit to be honest I went to the Reddit watches section and I posted my first mod there and it was like hugely upvoted and it was just wow the response was so overwhelmingly positive that. Uh, I just made some more, you know, someone offered to buy it and they sold it. And then like, people were like, yo, make me one. I was like, okay. And you, you felt, and you felt encouraged by the positive response. I did. And then I nice. found out about the watch you see. There's a wonderful, uh, thread in the Seiko section about, you know, poster mods. And that is like a great corner of really support people. A lot of creativity. Mm-hmm. There's probably Reddit and that, uh, that one thread in watch you see, which is a little gem. Very cool. It really propelled it. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, recently, you made um, you made a pretty big move out to the uh, Pacific Northwest. Also, I did. And um, I'm sure I'm sure that was easy, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, just you know, taking what I needed and going across country. <laughs> like he split. Yeah. You so you went to so you're in Seattle now. Where did you leave? I mean, where were you originally? Philadelphia. Oh, nice! Very cool, very very cool, man. That's that's crazy. So you, so Michael and I talked about this a lot in the past. Um, you had the complete opposite Reddit experience that I had. Reddit has been nothing but unkind to me <laughs> and all of my all of my watch postings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it got to the point where Reddit got kind of, you know, things I, I, I think it was just a couple people that would mm-hmm. literally follow everything I posted there and just download it instantly. And oh, jeez. That's, just like, that's what I do with Kaz, actually. I knew, yeah. I knew that was you. I fucking knew that was you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Beef Aquarium. 
So really, there there was like a handful of people that just just wanted to downvote <clears throat> you and kind of crap on yeah. what you did. That's weird. Yeah, so it kind of like slowed down there just because like it became less enjoyable. So like if, if I put all this effort into like taking nice photos and like putting a watch together, right. and, like, writing this thoughtful post and making a, an album, and then people were just downvote it because maybe I like told them <laughs> they were stupid or something, or not even, or told that it was like corrected them. You know, people get really like you know internet-y it was like whoa it's, it's, it's the internet it's Ugh. actually super cool it's it's sort of indicative of something interesting i think michael and i talked about especially with watch collecting if you're doing something within watch collecting if you're practicing your kind of horology passion at that point obviously and still you are still you were doing it back then and if someone hates on it and if you basically just go past that and keep doing and not change course that's awesome because especially i know i deal with this a lot like if there was a watch I was interested in and I was kind of on the internet about it and I started like seeing negativity about it, I would no longer want that watch or like that watch because of what I was afraid the community would feel about me and my collection. Mm -hmm. So like you basically just steamrolling that and not worrying about it is the best possible reaction. I really, really wish more people had that reaction because it's, it's easy to have like that kernel of watch collecting that that like that bug to just be completely derailed or sidetracked mm -hmm. by just some stupid comment because like i know i see it all the time on reddit and like uh, uh other watch forums like you know hey i saw this watch online it looks pretty cool and the poster will either know or not really realize that it's like a sub homage or like a different homage or something like that and there'll always be that one guy like Dude, just save up for a few months and buy the real thing. And like that's mm -hmm. like that's like soul crushing if you're like new, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's good to a degree to be a little isolated from things like forums because yeah, it lets yeah. you develop your own taste and lets you make your own decisions for a lot of the reasons that you just listed. And to be yeah. totally honest, you know, I I didn't you know, I was really way more into like technical aspects of watches and that and kind of oblivious to a lot of big design and big companies when i got into like mods and all this right but i think it's that, helped and hurt me in some senses but i think but yeah there there's like this herd mentality and people will shit on certain things or like bash you for liking certain things and come on guys well Sometimes maybe it's okay, but for the most part, it's like, oh, guys, it's watches. <laughs> it, it, it depends. The reality is, you like, basically, to sum up your point, the headline, practice your uh, watch passion, collect watches in a vacuum. Because that's the only way you're ever going to stay true to yourself. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And so basically what drove you were all the technical aspects of of the watches. And so is that still kind of the case? Because, I mean, just looking at your pieces now, there's, like, a really, like, like wonderfully substantial and very kind of honest aspect to the designs, just all like the superficial designs of the watches. So is that sort of something that's like when you're doing this on the forefront of your thought, like what it looks like and uh, like the technical stuff afterwards, or is it still all technical first thinking about different innovation things and things like that? Like how does that kind of working now? Oh, well, it's been at a bit of a crossroads in the past, mm -hmm. or compared past compared to now. Like uh, with the mods, mm -hmm. I, I I would just look at all the parts available to me, and I, mm -hmm. like my mind's eye, I'd visualize like what a cool combination would be, and then I get the parts and I make it. Um, 
Right. And then with the first Orion, I kind of did that. But starting your own company, starting your own brand is a bit of a different uh, hurdle to jump than selling mods. And now I'm at watchmaking school and I'm like in the midst of working on this diver design. So the things that I prioritize as important or design worthy are again different. So, right. Um, Oh, it's kind well, of it's enough. interesting because Mike, so Mike, you and Mike hung out in person yeah. and um, he was telling me you were taught, you guys were talking about like your first like day, your first couple of days there at the Washbaker school. Mm-hmm. And like they basically went around and they asked everyone what they wanted to do. And a lot of folks said like, oh, I want to start my own brand. <laughs> yeah. And then you and then you went up there and you were like, yeah, I have my own brand. <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it is. Of course it is. That's that's so. But it's So I think it's interesting the other aspect uh, that's really cool to get you on the show, I want to talk more just about watches and like watch community and watch collecting, but I guess this is just something that I've always, always curious about within watchmaking school. Are the majority of those people like, are they looking, do they have realistic aspirations like of really getting into like the tinkering and the taking apart of mechanical watches? Or are there some people who are just there and they're like, going about it very kind of not enthusiastically like is it like a lot of other very specialized kind of programs or it's everyone's super gung-ho super technical and um, everyone wants to be like start like the next awesome watch brand you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah i think uh if you had to average watchmakers i'd say they're kind of a conservative bunch and they like to be left alone they're pretty shy and mm-hmm. introverted so there's a very good portion of the people at school that um would totally be happy you know working at a service center or working, you know, just working on watches behind the scenes, not dealing with customers, not doing sales. Like, right. They they just want to be left alone, play with watches. Then there are a handful of people that, you know, want to run a business, want to run a company. But I think the majority is overwhelmingly people who just kind of want to be behind the scenes working on watches, whether that's just like, uh, you know, a career choice or maybe a job that, they know they would have fun doing but it right. is uh how how do you see yourself in watchmaking school because you have a you have kind of a different perspective and like a different position than most people who are your your peers and colleagues right um i, I mean i'm there i'm trying to learn as much as i can i that's why i went you know the, right to glean as much knowledge as i can to make some contacts but uh I'm I'm hoping to, I really want to take everything I learn and kind of inject it back into horology. I think it's in mm-hmm. you know, the industry is kind of in a weird state, especially, you know, manufacturer wise in the United States, it's essentially dead except for a handful of small outfits. Yeah, so that's true. I want to I want to I wanna yeah. like take what I know and I want to bring it back full circle and bring it back to the people. Um, I don't think. You know, my my goal isn't to work at a service center. My goal is to you know just be like a lone watchmaker, just fixing people's watches. I kind of want to make some degree of ripples out there. I think I think sort of similar to the first time you saw, or the, like when you saw that Omega and you realized, hey, I think I fixed it, or there's something something wrong. I think I can address it. You kind of had that same realization with. Um, Though the horology community, specifically in the U.S., like you recognize that there's something wrong, and then um, obviously you kind of see yourself in a position to potentially affect it to negate that sort of 
I mean, I guess saying wrong is weird, but that sort of potential issue. And so I'm glad you brought it up like that because the other part of what we want to talk about on the show while we have you is, um, and we talked about this in the pre-talk uh, a little bit, is kind of the the role of the of the homage watch in the U.S. microbrand mm-hmm. community. Because uh, whether a lot of folks realize it or not, a lot of these microbrand watches that they're getting, they're homages and a lot of the time they're basically ordered you know at like the hong kong watch show like to go around and to look at the different homages that different manufacturers will make and they'll be like oh well can you do this in this color and the guy will be like yeah and like boom you got a micro brand you know yeah. what i mean yeah so that's something and i i from a business perspective i understand it because it's safe to do an homage is safe because you know it's time and true design you know you can almost piggyback on like the visual legacy of something else like you know i mean everyone's like 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 this like a submariner you know what i mean mm-hmm. um i get it but to people like yourself and 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 like michael and i that's not really a exercising any type of horological passion and b really giving anything back to the community you know what i'm saying i i absolutely do and this is a it's a touchy subject people like to rationalize and you know, rationalize their purchases and defend homages and mm-hmm. uh, to some degree, that's okay. Well, should we talk about the degrees? We've got to break it because it keeps saying uh, like we should break down homages, I think. You however, know? however okay. you okay. want to do it. I'm, oh. I'm interested. I'm interested okay. to hear your, your perspective. I'm very curious. I, yeah. So there are homages which are basically like <clears throat> rebranded copies. And then people are like, but it's an homage because you did it. And it's like, the same guy. No, no, it's, it's the literally same guy. a copy that someone has the new logo on. And then, then people will be like, but it's an homage. So it's okay to buy. <laughs> it's like, no, that is not okay. Like, uh, imagine you just like, imagine you just designed a car and you had your car right. manufactured. And then someone like saw you drive by and was like, oh, that's, that's a pretty cool car. And then they go and they had it copied and then they start selling. But that's like, theft of intellectual design and that's essentially what homages are but they jump through like legal loopholes so they you know can't get shut down so i think right you know at the base the worst homages are those are rebranded copies that people have some kind of rationalization and defend cool. those are the worst um and then you can you can move up a step and then you have like something it's like you know, very directly influenced by a submariner. But, Mm -hmm. you know, they may have, like, changed a few aspects, and there is some, like, creative process happening, and it's like, okay, this is a little better. This is a little better. You you recognize some glimmers of potential greatness. Yeah, there's some new aspect going on. Mm -hmm. And so you can kind of see where I'm going from here. And then, uh, like, you go from homages, and then in the microbrands, you get the catalog cases and, like, the catalog parts. And if you look right. at microbrands, you can you can start to see when like oh that case is the same as that brand's case, <laughs> and, and people do this to save on cost, um, <clears throat> and you know while less egregious than um, like just a straight up homage or copy rebranded copy, it's like it's still you know you're going through all this trouble, you know why not go through a little more to have your own design made you know. So, right. Well, it's. I think it's. 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 And I think you mentioned this uh, in the beginning. It's really a, a matter of uh, manufacturing. There aren't really many places to 
quote unquote economically in terms of like you know putting together a business plan to potentially uh, attracting investors to economically create or have someone fabricate your own parts for you if you don't have the means to yourself there mm-hmm. are plenty of guys who could potentially have, if they have like a access to like you know a cnc machine or a router or if they you know have like if they're super proficient in like casting techniques they can do a lot of stuff obviously not all the stuff but a lot of stuff themselves but that's not the case so a lot of this manufacturing processes they're overseas and when you're overseas getting into the custom or personalization aspects it gets difficult or, or you, know you can mean? just buy a brand entirely just buy just or, <laughs> just buy a dying brand and buy all their tooling i did hear i did hear that brightling is for sale michael are you telling me you want to try and buy brightling i mean i'm i'm just i'm just saying that, that's it. I'm just saying, I still have seven boxes of Girl Scout cookies left. Do you think they'll take seven boxes of Girl Scout cookies? Thin mints and Samoas or whatever. <laughs> oh, man. It's 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 like it's five Thin Mints and one box of Savannah Smiles. And I don't know if I'm about to drive any rifts between our listeners and myself, but I do not like Savannah Smiles. I've, I've never had one. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know if that's like the, a... I'm going to look that up real fast. Well, oh, okay, so the, the the naming conventions are different. My 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 fiance explained this to me. They're not called Savannah Smiles up north. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know what the shit they're called up there. They're they're called like 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 I don't know, lemon hell bits. I have no idea what they're uh, called up north. Yeah, who would buy this? They don't. It's all about they're the not, thin mints and Samoas, and maybe Tagalogs. Oh, these look awful. That's that's, dude, that's, that's that's literally that's literally what we had in our batch. We had a bunch of thin mints. Two things of Samoas, Tagalongs, and then she got these these awful Savannah Smiles, which taste like processed lemon cardboard. That's what they <laughs> you know look what I mean? like, according to this picture I'm looking at. <laughs> I think we're looking at the same picture. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's just interesting. So, so if this is something that you kind of see yourself potentially addressing in the future, like... Would you try and learn every aspect of watchmaking from like hard, like like forging or like fabricating of cases, all the way to like finishing definitely. and everything like that? Or what's yeah, up? Yeah, definitely. I, I want to learn every aspect. Um, that doesn't mean becoming a master in every aspect. I don't think um, because that mm-hmm. that's like a lifetime dedication to become like right. You know the next. The leap to forward whatever that that takes decades right. of practicing these techniques um but i, I do want to learn all of it and i do want to i think specializing is important in watchmaking so you know i want mm-hmm. in my the biggest dream would to have like a team of specialists you know get the best case maker the best finisher <laughs> the best the a team yeah exactly and i think uh i think that's what america needs because having little tiny outfits of like no five, ten people, one or two people, you know, hand building these watches. It doesn't have enough impact, and it's so niche that it, it can't sufficiently affect the industry in a way for it to change. So that's that's um, that's pretty cool to hear you say. And I think I think I want to maybe briefly move to discuss your transition, <clears throat> mostly from um, from Seiko mods to something that you know has the potential to make sort of a bigger splash in the, in the industry uh which is your your move to orion and uh yeah. kind of you know when when did you kind of just sit down and say like i'm just gonna go for it like balls to the wall pretty much and like start this like 
do my com- completely my own thing. Oh, geez. When was that? Mm-hmm. That wasn't... That, like... I mean, I've been modding for a while, and when you buy all the, like, the mod parts or buy all the parts from, like, the watch companies and, like, the... You know, the watch mm-hmm. parts company, blah, blah, blah. I'm buying them all at, like, retail for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I mean, Yobokis did hook me up with a little discount, but it, it's it's a pretty big overhead when you're buying all the watches, like, for what everyone else is buying. And then I sat down, I was like, I should just make my own parts. And I started mm-hmm. looking for manufacturers, you know, I was like, which is probably, like, the was the biggest struggle, you know. Finding a competent manufacturer, finding someone who knows what they're doing and is reasonable, like, that's hugely difficult. So I, I was I doing mean, yes. a lot of that. The cost... So it was a, a, lot of, a lot of cold calling? Yeah, a bit. And, to, like, paying for prototypes or sending materials for people to work with and then not getting right. anything back or getting absolute horse <laughs> shit back. And then you just do that for a while and then you finally, like, find someone who can, like, you know the prototypes are okay, and then then they make you a batch of parts, and like the, the majority of them are bad. So I, I was doing a lot of that, <laughs> and you know I had a few of my own parts made, and I was like, okay, this is cool. But I was doing all this work, and I was like, you know what? Like, well, why don't I just like instead of getting like crystals, hands, and dials made, why don't I just get like crystals, hands, dials, and cases made, and then throw some yeah. movements in there? So it's around, you know. That's not, was it a year and a half ago ish? Must have been. And then. I think so. Then I started, you know, figuring out what I needed to do to get a watch design, get it manufactured, and yeah. And the so what's 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 cool is I and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not because it's always weird for people to look at themselves introspectively in these situations. What you described is very very much, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit it's a really it's a it's a hard set kind of cause and effect trial and error situation did this didn't work try this didn't work keep trying keep trying keep trying until you get in front of something where you're like yes okay now i can move on to the next step and i'm kind of seeing a pattern that seems to be the case just kind of almost your entire relationship with urology from like fixing watches and modding watches and constantly tinkering and then trial and error and failing and winning. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just, it's super interesting to actually hear like the, the in the trenches process to starting your own brand basically. Yeah. I think it, it might be a, a different story for a lot of people, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it just uh, kind of presented itself, you know, as the logical next step, you know, and that's kind of how it's always been in terms of my horological path. And the Orion, right. the Orion so one was the first, right? Yeah. Right. I was going to ask that. Okay. Okay. So I can, I can only imagine the, the kind of, you know, stress that probably went into it too. Kind of like, you know, this is, this is essentially like your first baby and you're mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of, you know, for a while you're seen as, you know, a pretty big authority on modding, you know, and then mm-hmm. kind of, kind of out of nowhere, you, you introduce this, uh, this kind of unique design. And, uh, I mean, how, how did that go in terms of, in terms of reception, I guess, when considering the same sort of community that you, um, 
interacted with before with the modding and you know reddit mm-hmm. and watch you seek and everything uh it wasn't received as well okay because uh the moment you like do the mm-hmm. whole branding thing i think people's perception changes is like this isn't uh, an individual crafting something for me anymore this is a brand so if like if i'm talking about it it's not you know something i've created it's this brand so every time i talk about it, it's like i'm you know tastelessly advertising for it <laughs> and um you know the ryan one is a little bit of a wild card design going back i'm like isolating myself from like watches watch designs watch people uh like this is a the ryan's kind of like it's funky it's a funky watch it really and, is yeah and then yeah. i uh I, I yeah like out of nowhere it's like boom brand new watch it's really weird and people are really wary of new brands as i learned um sure so people were like what's this weird watch it's a weird watch and a, a lot of the <laughs> a lot of like my main competitors or things in my <clears throat> price points are homages and really well established watch designs that people like so mm-hmm. um that was that was, you know, setting the scene here a little bit. But uh, then the people that liked me for my modding, liked me for my modding, and I assumed that they would be like, "Oh yeah, this is great, Orion." And some of them, oh. some of them crossed over, but some of them didn't. And you know, I learned a lot about marketing and different groups of people and like finding the people that like your product. And I was just totally off on uh, my demographic. I was. I assumed a little bit that people would just like it because they already liked me, but I really had to build an entire new uh, base of supporters and fans for the Orion. Um, But it it was a huge learning experience and I learned a lot from it, but um, yeah, it it was, it was a lot of work, but you know. So what did you find the main difference? I mean, if this is like an an easily answerable question, the people who were into the mods and the people who are more attracted to the um, Orion watches, the Orion one and the, 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 the feel standard now. And just all the, uh, but just like as a side note, I love all the little like, like one off or like, or like small run watches you'll do with like mm-hmm. the engravings or things like that. You'll put on the website. Those are so cool. Or like, or, or like the coin dials, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's are so kind cool. of like uh, tickling my, my mod bone. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I like, love just playing with new combos. And I think that's, you know, People like Orion, people like mods, so then you get you know, special edition Orions, which are you know, one-offs or small runs. Hmm. But uh, the difference between the two groups, I'd say right. um, largely the... There is some overlap, there is a little overlap, but largely the people that like Orions are a little bit older than the people that like uh, the mods. Okay. Um, so... People like mods. Do you think, it, do, do you think it's more because of like people similar in your original situation? They're interested in your mods because they're interested in modding, and so usually, I feel like that will be people who are more like uh, younger. I mean, not necessarily, but do you think that's the case, or it's just one of those weird things that's unexplainable? Uh, well, I think that I, there's you can explain anything if you like dig deep enough. But I <laughs> think true. that that is part of it. There, uh, I believe a lot of people that are into modding that don't have the time or the like dexterity or they just don't want to do it and then but they really love the culture and they love you know the mod products so they're into it um a lot of people who are into mods don't mod but they love mm-hmm. to like talk to modders and you know buy mod watches so right that's part of it 
Um, I was also really undercharging for my mods. So okay. I was not making a lot of money off of them. So in terms of other watch, that was like kind of another part of like isolating myself and not being aware, not being a business person. I wasn't charging you, you, too you, much, so they were pretty You cheap. didn't know how to balance your margins, uh, essentially, between, you know, what right. you were putting in and what you were getting back. That's interesting. So, you, you know, what's funny, like, I, I've talked to a lot of people who, not even just with watches, who have their own brands and who started their own brands, and a lot of them do the same thing. They undercharge in order to make themselves more perspective, and it's sort of almost like a roll of the dice because that can you know, work in that it'll get your name out there, but people will forget you. Mm -hmm. But it will also like double work in that it will get your name out there and it will really earn you not just like people who like what you do, but fans. Like it will earn you fans. You know what I mean? So like if you could go back, would you maybe try and play with your margins a little bit better? Or, I mean, it, it happened the way it happened, then you're cool with it. Uh, you know, it happened the way it happened. Uh, if I yeah. could go back, you know, I may... Uh... I, you know, I would probably educate myself in marketing and PR and all that because I, that's still like one of the more challenging aspects for me. Sure. But, uh, my, yeah. my perspective is the best thing you can do in terms of marketing and all that stuff like that. Like, I know it's easy to get kind of, uh, occupied and bogged down in like the nitty gritty and like analytics and looking at margins and understanding, you know, distribution, especially if you're purely online and digital right now. Like, I know it's easy to get bogged down in that. The best thing you could ever do is just, always just i know this might sound cheesy but just stay true to you and not get too bogged down in those details because if you're always doing your own thing and if you're always really just true to yourself people will be attracted to you and they'll be your fan the best thing a market the best thing any marketing campaign can do is earn you a fan and you can't really ever do that by putting pen to paper or looking at charts you can only really do that by expressing yourself yeah which is what you've been absolutely doing. right though it, well that's no. true. to some degree i feel like i may have straight a little bit from that it's almost out of necessity i feel like but I don't it's know a learning process really yeah it, it is a learning process though. i have to figure yeah. out what works i really you know i hate seeing like really forced advertisements and i don't want to do that so i try to avoid doing that but then it's are, like, are you telling me are you telling me you don't want people to take pictures of their field standards in their ferraris I, on like the cliffs of Monaco, like you don't I, want that. I, I do want that, but I don't want to oh, you pay do want that. <laughs> a thousand dollars for Instagram posts. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, wait. PSA to everyone listening: Don't fucking ask me for a free watch in exchange for Instagram photos. Really, that happens. Get, people, people happens do that every day. Oh my oh, god! No. It's a, it's the biggest turn off. <laughs> like, please, guys, stop. Wow. Just stop. Uh, it, it happens so frequently. All right, listeners, if you listen to our show and you've 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 asked that of Nick, stop. That's super not cool. <laughs> well, I mean, there there was still, you know, there's I, I don't think um yeah, I don't think that pay to play stuff is that cool either, but you still had a you still had a decent amount of buzz um concerning the the Orion one. I mean, you know, you had Warner Wound. I, I I remember we talked about, you know, Gear Patrol doing something on you and I think uh, Theo and Harris and stuff like that. So I, you know, I I would see the Orion one, um, you know, online, and I saw people talking about it. And I was I was like, okay, this is cool. Um, but you know, what really caught my eye, and I think I think I told you this in person, was was definitely the uh, the field standard that you have in the in the pre order phase still right now. 
And I think part that thing is so fucking part of cool. it was because <laughs> I felt that connection to, um, I think probably you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but maybe your most popular mod, which was you know that Definitely. the the field watch or the tr- the traveling watch, which what which was it? Well, it's actually called the field standard. Um, okay. I had oh, I saw these parts and I like grab them, I put them together in this watch, and it was just it was just gold. And then um, nice. It wasn't too much later that a <clears throat> new startup like fashion company was like, "Hey, we are starting this company. We want to carry your mods, your watches." Mm-hmm. Uh, what Interesting. And so the field standard became like uh, their exclusive model, <clears throat> and they had like a naming contest for it. And these people, they started reaching out to Warren and Wound and Gear Patrol to, like, you know, help advertise for their company. Mm-hmm. And Gear Patrol was actually like, thanks for reaching out to us, but we think this story about Nick is really cool. Can you put us in touch with him? <laughs> and, um, you know, I formed a great relationship with Gear Patrol and uh, Chris, my friend Chris, who works for them. He came out and we had a great time and he did a story on me. They actually uh, just sent someone, uh, Andrew, out to my school, and he, he stayed with us for a couple of days, and oh, cool. he uh, did some reporting on watchmaking school, which I think will be a, a very cool story, since you don't get to see much of that. Yeah, definitely but, uh, looking forward to that. Yeah. So yes, the field standard came from a Seiko mod, uh, this, field, this field watch mod that I did. I have sold so many of those, and it went through little iteration but yeah and I, th- I should have started with that one in retrospect i think but yeah i think both of us you know because we talked about this too this um i spent a week with the the prototype that you you lent me for a bit and i think <clears throat> i think it's just i think you solved every kind of issue that i've always had with a field watch and i think one of those things that, you know it's something that I think people um, kind of forget about the importance is uh, is the crystal. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the crystal on that thing is just beefy, and I love it. <laughs> Can you kind of, like, go over your thoughts, you know, in terms of design and the approach that you took for, um, you know, kind of making it such a robust watch? Sure. Uh, it's uh, based on, like, the Orion case, which... Um, you know, the goal was to make it a beefy, robust watch. I, when I'm not super busy with, you know, watchmaking school, I like to, you know, go outdoors and, you know, do stuff that would really hurt a watch. And right. I also mm-hmm. really like to wear these smaller, like, vintage watches. Mm-hmm. But uh, they can't really live up to that kind of beating. The, the Orion case is supposed to be kind of like this dressy-ish case but it can get beat up. So, like, what, is, awesome. what does that mean to me? It means a super fat crystal, because, you know, working on watches a lot, I see these one millimeter thick and one and a half millimeter thick crystals get shattered really easily. You know, you, you bump them and boom, crack, done. And the uh, see them a lot on popular watches, too. It saves cost when you make them really thin. So, like, first things first, Get a huge crystal, you know, two and a half millimeters thick, solid sapphire. Wow. It's not double domed, it's single domed, and it's flat on the bottom, so that adds to the thickness. Okay. So it's a lot of sapphire. Um, 
and I have not had anyone ever send one back for a broken sapphire. I've had people smash <laughs> smash their watches, drop them, and the sapphire like scooches over or might get moved in the gasket, but it doesn't break. Hmm. I've had people like slam them into bars, like metal bars and stuff. Like sapphire doesn't break. I hate broken glass. <laughs> it just it's a it's a pain to deal with. It'll get in your watch. It'll get in your movement. It's dangerous to work with. Yeah. So, you know, it was between beefy sapphire. Yeah, it was between the sapphire, you know, that you know, I saw that kind of right away instantly when you handed me the watch. <laughs> and I think um that and the um the crown and crown guard design, like when I saw that I was just like, Whoa. <laughs> like I I just <laughs> I kind of instantly wanted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember designing that crown with uh Kyle who does my cat work. Okay. Um, I, was, I was like, tell him, I was like, I was like, it's got to be big and it's got to be knurled. <laughs> and he's like, okay, what do you think? Here it is at, at like six and a half millimeters or seven millimeters. And I was like, make it 10 millimeters. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, are you sure? Here it is at like seven and a half, eight. And I was like, make it 10. And then he's like, okay, here it is at 10. I'm like, okay, that looks ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> make it nine millimeters <laughs> so um yeah you know i hate fussing with tiny crowns it's like mm. a, a lot of watches you gotta like take off your wrist or like you're like really pinching at it and it's just slipping between your stupid sweaty index finger and thumb my dog like, my dog hates it too <laughs> yeah i was I gonna say it. michael michael do you have a parrot because it sounded like i first heard a parrot like there was a second shooter i first heard a parrot and then i heard the dog somebody oh. somebody is screaming outside I don't know what's going Are you serious? on. Yeah. Is that for real? Yeah. Wow. It's, it's a, that Michael lives in a very like... weird Michael lives in a very weird area. <laughs> Every episode there's like an ambulance or someone yelling or the dog is going crazy. I mean I can't I can't talk because my cats are usually being very disruptive during the recording process, <laughs> but but okay. Interesting. Yeah. But that that is that is just a like gnarly crown and uh kind of the whole time that, that I had it, it was just I don't know, I wasn't like winding it constantly because I wore it just for a week straight, but um, you know it was it was just a pleasure to operate, and I think I think a great deal of that came from from the size and the the kind of knurling that you you chose for it. You know what's interesting hearing hearing Michael describe the feel standard to me after he had his hands on with it, and then hearing Nick you talk about it, it's something that I think is awesome, and that I really wish you could find in more micro brands. In that it's really your entire kind of watch collecting perspective in the piece and that you've approached every aspect of the design very methodically you know what i mean mm -hmm. you uh have a very technical perspective in regards to servicing watches so you're just like you know what i don't like when this does this it's a pain in the ass to service it boom i'm going to make sure this never happens and you don't have to deal with it i want to make sure i can still go outside and like do physical activities and not worrying about, you know, the watch breaking or not worrying about trying to fuss with the crown if I'm like outside and my hands are sweaty. Boom, let's do it like this. Let's have it like this. So it's something that you have to really appreciate. And if you're someone out there, like if you're a listener out there and you're looking for something that's really honestly special, the really good way to define special is to really determine how much of someone's effort and how much of their heart is in the piece. And you do that by understanding how much 
methodology they put in every aspect of what they've created. And I mean, and this is probably one of the better examples. I mean, just hearing you talk about it, because you're 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 kind of want from the watch is very similar to my own the reason i reached the reason i got my omega c master 30 that thing's fucking like 60 or 50 years old the reason i got it is because i love the idea that it used to be a dressy watch but it was pretty robust you could go and it could get scratched up and banged around and it'll be fine obviously i can't do that anymore but i would love to find a vintage watch a vintage looking watch that i don't have to worry about air drumming to you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and that's basically what you're describing. Yes. And so if there's anyone listening who's in that sort, same same kind of place, like you want something that's tastefully vintage in the sense of it's it's 38 millimeters, right? Without the crown, without that giant crown? Yeah, but it is the biggest wearing 38 millimeters you'll ever. For sure. Yeah, I, I was, well, was going to say 38, 38 is super tasteful, but lug to lug, what is that lug to lug? That's probably like... Michael told me, I can't remember. 49. 49 or 50? 49. Yeah, 49. That's incredible. That is that is that is a visually tasteful, a very visually tasteful watch, but in addition to a very comfortable watch. Yeah. And you, know you, I mean? you also opted for the integrated strap and that kind of... Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. I think uh, I mentioned in a previous show that it's, it's so fluid in the way that it sits on the wrist, um, which is an issue that I have with, or one of the issues I have with leather straps... Um, is that it kind of doesn't sort of organically interact with the case, but um, with the with the integrated strap, I think it wore super comfortable. And uh, you know, whether I was like at the office and kind of semi business casual attire, or kind of on the weekends with a t-shirt or whatever, it, it just it worked. I really liked it. Yeah, I think uh, you know if you look at it from the side, it has this like arc. Mm-hmm. You know, just like yeah. the, the strap just feeds right into the bezel, into the crystal. And yeah, like you said, the uh, the integrated strap does kind of alleviate some of that pressure that like cinching a normal strap down on your wrist would give. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Are there a few little details in this that I think are hard to convey through photos and you really need to kind of wear the watch yes. to understand? I will, the, I will say I, I was not the, expecting the hardest... that. I was not expecting that. When I, you know, when I kind of went to meet with you and I'd seen the watch and photos and stuff, uh, you handed it over and I was just like, wow, like this is just, it, it, it really is a watch that has to be like experienced, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I think I also have this categori- categorizational model <laughs> where they're like watches that look good in pictures and then watches that look good in person. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there are a lot of watches out there that look really good in photos, and you go and try them on, and they just don't look right. They don't sit right. They don't feel right. And then there are those watches that look unremarkable in photographs, and then you go and see them in person, and you're blown away. Mm. And, like, Grand Seiko is, like, one of those watches that looks kind of boring in photographs, and then you go and see one in person, and you're like, hot damn, (laughs) get me one of those. (laughs) But then it was like, you see the, the new, like, Omega you know, Seamaster 300, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a that's a spicy-looking watch. And you go see it in person, <laughs> and you're like, oh, God, it's so polished Dude, and I, tacky. Like, oh, oh, I don't know if I talked about this on the show, but there was a period of time in my life, for some reason, where I was really into seeing pictures of the Omega Planet Ocean, like, chronograph with the orange bezel, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I loved seeing pictures. I'm like, man, one day I'm going to work up the testicles, I'm going to watch, I'm going to walk into the Omega Boutique, 
I'm going to pretend to be Aziz Ansari, and I'm going to fucking That's try like to watch That's like wearing a teacup on your wrist. That thing is huge. Dude, it's it's giant. It was like I opted to have a tumor on my body. You know, I want a tumor. <laughs> Give me, I want to pay you thousands of dollars to, to ruin my entire fucking person. It's like the plow by wearing this watch. So they, they just have some <laughs> big watches. But but to, yeah. to Nick's point, it photographed really well, but man, on my wrist, it did not feel right. It did not click. It didn't sit right. It just wasn't like jiving and I could not get out of there quicker. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and so it's one it, Mike, it's one of those weird things. Yeah, Mike had I think had an experience like that with the his uh that GMT. Yeah. <laughs> it like, was oh yeah, dude. Very, very strange. But yeah, that just that just happens with uh with kind of like the culture that we we live in as far as the content mm-hmm. we consume. Like it's so visual, it's just so much of it is Instagram and we're just kind of like consuming this visual watch content all day. And you, um, mm-hmm. you might see the same watch over and over and over again. You're like, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. yeah that's awesome. And yeah, like, like you said, you know, you, you try on the GMT or, or like another, you know, crazy expensive watch and kind of see that it falls short. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I almost like it when it's, uh, when it's a really pleasant surprise because, um, I know back when you were doing the Seiko mods, I, I went through like more than one occasion of like being on your site and like adding something to cart and like just <clears throat> sleeping on it and then like not doing it and then going back and like sleeping on it again. And then you kind of stopped and then kind of serendipitously like we, we met up again and uh, or whoops, we met up for the first time and I got to see this kind of just like new and improved um, design in the field standard. It was just, mm-hmm. it was a pleasure to to spend time with that watch. It, it, it's it's the reality of if looking at something on paper and reading the specs are one thing, but actually having it on your wrist, like that's really the true honest way to practice uh, your kind of you know watch collecting passion, or to really build an, a collection that's an expression of your passion. Is to actually get things, accumulate things, which feel good to wear and look good on you specific to you so it's one of those things where i'll say if you have any inclination towards what we've said about the field standard or the orion one in regards to if you're looking for something that has that awesome really classic uh uh, vintage look but that is robust enough to go with you anywhere it has really really good specs in terms of that but if you're a little hesitant you're never going to know till you try it so just try i will say i would say just i will say what looks great in photos and in person also um because i think you had a you had a watch on with the engraving is is the engraving work that you do um mm-hmm. how'd you how'd you get into that yeah yeah well i must have i don't i don't personally do the engraving that's kind of one of those things that takes hundreds or not if not thousands of hours to become proficient at um so i i you know i saw an engraved watch online somewhere mm-hmm. and I, you know, I was doing the mods and I was like that is really cool <laughs> I should do that yeah and so then naturally I, I look into engraving look into finding engraving teacher classes and it's kind of sparse and it's like oh yeah you need a few hundred hours to get good at this and I was like ah geez yeah. I need this now so I started, I started like <laughs> uh, you know searching for engravers online and sending them emails asking them if they could help me out and um 
found this one guy and he's really great and really nice and then he actually like passed away like pretty quickly after we hmm. got like oh, started no. and then i that sucks yeah i started I, I looked i found someone else and that's damon and uh you know we talk a lot and he you know he's uh been really pivotal in kind of developing this brand identity of engraved watches which i think is super cool it's um a tremendous value proposition if you're into adding value to your watch hmm, you know, of course. the next stop for an engraved watch is probably like ten thousand dollars fifteen thousand dollars for some of these outfits that do the engraved rolexes or whatever and does but, um, does he do this yeah. for specifically for brands and manufacturers or can kind of just a customer go up to him and you know talk yeah, about he's, a, he's a he's like a freelance guy okay cool but um, in terms of my watches, you know, we work together. You know, I send him, send him the cases, and then he engraves them. Send them back to me. I reassemble them because you can't send an engraver like a full watch. It needs to be stripped down so they can properly work it. Mm-hmm. It takes two to kind of make sure it gets apart and back together again. Nice. Makes sense. I think, I mean, I, 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 I hate to say it, but I think we're getting to that point, Michael, where you sort of maybe wanted to start wrapping it up just uh, just for logistics sake. Just for the, right? sake, of, should we, should the we, sake of file size. This is a fun discussion, though. Yeah. This is amazing. Like, it would be awesome to have you on uh, uh, again if you're cool with it, but just, just to sort of round out the discussion what we keep circling back to regards to homages in the micro-brand world, is it one of those things where your vision is that every microbrand will just jump out and automatically do their own thing because i feel like i've seen microbrands that started with homages mm-hmm. and then like second third generation then they started slowly doing their own things and that's them this is a really dirty word but manipulating not manipulating but like uh kind of navigating uh the weird eccentricities of fans and marketing in that you do homages to get people behind your brand like oh yeah that's a really cool you know blah 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 homage and then when they're fans of your brand then you start changing a couple things here in the second generation and the third generation you change more so you can maybe see how it related to the original homage but you can make the argument that it's no longer an homage like is that trajectory appropriate to you or do you just think like dude you know what this is this is this is america we're all super creative people this is a fantastic community there's no reason why first generation you can't just come out and do something fucking unique and and true to yourself uh i would really love to see people just like take more risks to be completely honest like the good that's a good point forget the catalog case forget the homage Mm -hmm. just like make something crazy just go for it like don't there's it gets back to the stuffiness of the watches and it's just like these are the elements yeah. that make a good watch and it's like no fuck it put a nine millimeter crown on it put some real long legs on it it's like but it's just like if like i might explode if i see another sub homage and i might like go on a rampage if i see someone trying to defend why a sub homage is like no i'll never be able to afford one it's like like, just stop just stop there's so many of them just stop but yeah no i think people evolving uh from homages is okay i think developing on them is fine but it's just like they're lazy it's a zero effort thing it's like you're taking someone else's design Mm-hmm. You can't argue that. You, you just it's the, it, you 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 pinpointed it perfectly. It's the difference between 
um, playing it safe and taking a risk. I mean, you can have a great business plan that plays it safe and you could have a really not the best business plan because it's just full of risks, but it's those risks which kind of really help you get your vision across or help you to express yourself. Because mm-hmm. that's that's what Michael and I talk about all the time. If you are into watches and if you really have that weird particular knack which draws you to whatever aspect it is of a watch, whether it's the technical aspects or a lot of like the like the legacy aspects in regards to how, you know, horology and timekeeping has evolved, regardless of what it is, it's something that's very personal to you. And if something's personal to you, you have to figure out how to express yourself within it. And so if I want to start a watch brand, I'm not really expressing myself if I just make an homage. Right. And some people you know don't care. They just want to make yeah, a brand exactly. and make money. But, yeah. uh, you know, if you're doing a pre-order or a Kickstarter thing and you're doing it right, you're mitigating, like... 80 90 percent of risks like right there if you're if your thing is crowdfunded like there's so much risk that is mitigated so it's like Do you like you like the crowdsourcing business model because i'm 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 technically i'm a little weird about it just because it is it's sort of related to my to, uh, sort of to my day job i'm i'm weird about that uh, uh kind of business plan but you think for micro brand well it, it helps to mitigate risks so you can be more creative i personally did a pre-order through my website um, and that okay. was the only way it would have worked for me. I couldn't have raised the money on my own to fund it out of pocket. And it's also, right. it, it mitigated risks. But I think Kickstarter is a weird environment. Um, and there are a handful of reasons I don't go into it. But mm-hmm. it, it's just kind of a weird environment. And people game it. And, you know, you got to, like, you know, got to play the game. You got to play the Kickstarter game, you know? <laughs> But, just want to make watches, man. I don't want to play no games. Yeah, I'm just That's saying, if you use that model properly, if you aren't some kind of weirdo, scammy person, it's essentially like risk mitigation is what it is. Mm-hmm. I'd say that. Well, yeah, I, I think doing the pre-order on your site makes sense. I was specifically speaking to like <clears throat> third-party crowdsourcing business models like Kickstarter and mm-hmm. um, what's the other one? Go GoFundMe? Is that uh, a thing? GoFundMe. Or they just I think Indiegogo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's 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 they're not inherently bad, I don't think. But to your point, Nick, I think it's possible for people to, you know, potentially abuse those types of Definitely. things. But but um, but that's super cool. So I mean, I mean, what you've done a few teasers about this dive watch. Oh yeah, that you're doing right now, or you're kind of in the conceptualizing process for right um you talked about it a little you mentioned in the show i think you've put out a couple teaser uh graphics is there anything you can kind of say about that on the show that you're comfortable talking about or do you still want to keep it just super under wraps so, like, we, we can you... talk about it um because i would i'm very interested in it i think just from what i have sort of understood and what i've gleaned from the teasers i'm just like i'm very very into it already so like yeah what can you give us like have you like like can you pitch it like do you have like a perspective on yes. the design of it because you're very methodical about the field standard is that same sort of uh, methodology uh, aspects like like very like like meticulous methodology aspect in this watch yeah even more so um nice th- this watch is going to be insane i'm this is kind of just like <laughs> fuck it. pull out all the stops um <laughs> So it's not going to be millimeter crown. Too, yeah, twenty millimeter crown. It's no. It's um, <laughs> gonna have the same size crown. It's gonna be. It's gonna have a lot more. It's. It's. It's gonna be thin. It's gonna be thin. It's gonna have the 
ETA 2892 movement in it, which is like 3.5 millimeters thick, which in turn... Interesting. Will get the, wa- the watch will probably... You know, I don't want to make promises, but in trying to aim for around 11 millimeters thick... Hmm. Wow, um, wow. It, is it like a is it like a compressor case or like a skin diver or like traditional like exterior bezel and all that stuff? Yeah, or, or can you not? It's it's more it's a more like traditional kind of dive watch design. Very cool. Um, it's gonna be thin. It's gonna it's gonna be ergonomic. It's gonna you're you're gonna love the the case shape. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be brushed. It's gonna have like a nice polished beveled accents on it. So it'll. Um, have a little panache but it won't be but it'll still be brushed so it's like oh well i'm not scared of scratching it so much <laughs> it's gonna look nice it's not gonna be huge good we're looking at around like 39 millimeters oh yes like, damn that's incredible that's so cool i get man. mad at all the people that get stuck on numbers because you know i can wear a 42 millimeter skx but i can't wear a 41 millimeter black thing but anyway, <laughs> it's gonna have a lot of interesting curves it's gonna be thin it's gonna have 200 meter water resistance it's gonna have swiss movement it's gonna have a sapphire it's gonna be spicy it's gonna have a bracelet that's though. so cool so this is a whole new case conception this isn't um in the same way the field one kind of drew from orion this is completely different right. case completely case different. okay wow so it Originally, it was kind of like uh, an evolution of it. Um, kind of like, whoa, slap a bezel on the Orion case. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I decided that there were some elements of the Orion case that weren't well received. There okay. were, like, people, like, the people that are interested in it seem to really want a nicer, you know, Swiss movement in it. Um which for a while I was like, no, you you don't get Swiss movements. But then does the does does does, does the NH three five get hate? It I I think it's a great movement. It's a, it is a great movement. There there's the Seiko stigma. Seiko makes good stuff, but people hate on it. I see. This is Seiko. This is the Seiko stigma. Did you say you're you're going with a bracelet also? Yes, I will definitely have a bracelet. Ooda lolly. Ooda lolly indeed. Know, so a, what? This is probably a really weird question. What is your favorite part of this thin dive watch? Oh. Okay, so I haven't really revealed this part, but it's going to this. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so it's going to have a display case back that is like uh, kind of a curved case back. Ooh, nice. cur- imagine like a curved sapphire case back that like forms around right. your wrist so the orion one case has these long curved lugs with this integrated bracelet and kind of hugs your, your wrist mm-hmm. the diver i almost said its name that's a secret Oosh. The diver is going to have this <laughs> curved sapphire case back and that's what's going to hug your wrist on the that's, diver. Ins- that's so cool and sapphire after you wear it for like a minute it like if you've ever had like watch with a cap sapphire display back, you know it like warms up to your like body temperature and it's very comfortable to wear. Nice. So it's going wow. to have this uh, curved sapphire case back that hugs your wrist, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a comfy watch. It's gonna be a light watch. You're not as gonna like hug your wrist. It's gonna be unobtrusive and it'll be real cool. That's so cool. I'm I'm I'm. 
I mean, you're doing great things with the Orion brand. I mean, it looks like every single model that comes out, it's just, it gets better. It feels like it just gets better. Like, I'm, I, I'm, I remember how mad Michael was when I showed him a picture of the field standard for the first time a while back. He literally goes, dude, why you got to show me that field standard? <laughs> well, <You know? laughs> I will. Because we, we, we had just gone through, like, I think a watch buying spree, each yeah. of us at that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I, I will okay. say, I will say this and kind of going back to the topic of you know risk and if if i can maybe just like leave you with something as like a new fan of you know what you do um kind of like you mentioned before when the orion one came out i i felt kind of disconnected from it i saw that it was like really really cool and um Mm -hmm. And I kept seeing it online, you know, and, you know, there were the people that loved it. There were the people that didn't. And I just, I didn't really develop an opinion on it. And Mm -hmm. then I kind of forgot, but always in the back of my mind, I saw, I saw what you were doing and saw you operating as somebody that was kind of not afraid to take risks or like kind of infuse this, this bit of controversy into the micro brand universe so you know just just from doing that just from taking these really unique approaches um and going the extra mile with like you know a unique design here and like just like a slightly better um like kind of feature there um i think it really goes a long way in in winning people over and um yeah i don't know i'm I'm really i'm really excited to hear that you're you're kind of even with the field standard and and the new diver. I'm really excited to hear that you're taking some, some kind of like really unique steps with it. Because I I don't think that stuff is, is uh, something you see in the micro brand universe very very often. No, I mean you see a lot of like whoa thousand meter water resistance and a helium escape valve. <laughs> Guys, you get nobody. Uses, I got one of those. That's obsolete technology. <laughs> hey hey, fun fact. You're never gonna use your helium escape valve. I used it I in don't a puddle. Think so. No, you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> don't open my watch. The helium's gonna get out. Ah! <laughs> oh man, that's but that oh, that's man, gonna be that's an so awesome. Cool. That's gonna be an awesome watch. I can't wait. Yeah, I I I I'm, I know I'm I'm pretty sure I can speak for Mike, uh, you know, as well. But Mike and I we're definitely sticking with the brand. I mean, you're doing fantastic things, listeners. Like I was saying before, if you're looking for a micro brand which will actually kind of bring a little bit of awesomeness to your watch, tickle box, your you pickle. Can really actually, that can actually tickle, like you might tickle your pickle, and that can actually make you really feel like you are taking part in the watcherology community. Check out Orion watches. Check out the field standard. He still has them up on his site right now. Just check his site every now and then periodically because Nick will just put cool stuff up there. Keep an eye out for more news on this uh, dive watch. And definitely keep an eye on just uh, Nick on the Orion watch because it's just it's 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 just such a pleasure to see a micro brand like this that you can have such a, a cool connection with. You know what I mean? That you can like you can talk to him and he's kind answering questions. I'm a little snarky. I'm bad at <laughs> it's answering perfect. emails. I'm grumpy with it. I'll admit it. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll, but I get no, a lot. This, of, I, a lot of people ask for free watches. <laughs> Yeah, again, people, I will reiterate, please do not, do not ask Nick for free watches. Like, super not cool, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> super not cool. So, I mean, 
Nick, uh, at this point, we're going to sort of start rounding out. Is there, is there anything you wanted to say before we started doing the sign-off, or are you good to go, man? I'm good to go. I'm super honored to uh, be a guest on your show. I love what you guys are doing. I love Freeform. You know, following your passion, it's good to see, like, some original uh, watch talk happening. Nice. You know, not, yeah, not I don't know about how I don't know how many podcasts out there will talk about watches <laughs> and testicles at the same time. Right. <laughs> right. I don't know of two. Oh, yeah. Right. We, we almost <laughs> went a whole episode. <laughs> and there you go. We almost went. A, I can't. It's got to happen. It's like it's my nervous <laughs> tick. You know what I'm saying? And but um I, but yeah so yeah no dude the honor is all ours it was it was it was awesome to coordinate I hope you'll come back um it's just be really really cool to continue the conversation again and I know people are gonna dig the episode so okay Mike do you wanna do you wanna start the sign off and then I'll finish it or should I start it and then you finish it I always get confused I don't know how does it work with three people how did we do this last time I can just say I think last I can just say I think last time. You say your name, I'll say my name, and then I'll be like, oh, you know, say goodbye to the people, Nick, and then Nick will say goodbye, and then, you know, hopefully, at the, and then I'll say, and you've listened to Two Broke Watch. We, we, we can do it okay, like that. Okay, so I'll say my name, you say your name, and then yes. Nick makes a funny noise. Wait, okay, okay so I think I, I think I got it. <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in tonight. This is Three Broke Watch Knobs with Mike, Kat, and Nick. Uh, I hope you oh, enjoyed perfect. this evening as much as we did, because the pleasure was all ours. You heard the man. Take it easy, everyone. (laughs) Later.